0: Thanks for tuning in. This is Sunday Recap, the weekly edition of the Grace Bible Church podcast, where we talk about life and faith based off of our sermon this past Sunday. For recordings of our sermons, for more podcasts, and to submit any questions or comments you might have, visit bgraceorg slash podcast. For more information about Grace Bible Church, visit BeGrace.org. I'm Joey Colon. I'm Dave McMurray.
1: I'm Chris Webster. Jim Wilson.
2: Kendrick Kendrick Spells.
0: Kendrick Spells is in the house. Well, thanks for joining juni- us. Thanks for joining us for another episode where we're far apart and things are weird and we can't communicate super well, but we're doing our best uh, to still talk about the sermons, to still be together. So, this week we are talking about Um, Treasuring the Kingdom from our Stories of the King series, which actually, if you didn't realize yet, is following the Jesus Storybook Bible. So if you have a Jesus Storybook Bible at home for your kids, you can know what we're going to talk about every week when we come, because you could just flip to the next story and say, hey, the next story is about buried treasure. That's what we're going to talk about this Sunday. So that's what we talked about this Sunday from Matthew chapter... 13, um, the story of the man who goes out to a field and finds buried treasure and what he does with it uh, and how that um, story, how that, I guess, parable, right, Parable. Um, can connect and relate to us today even. So treasuring the kingdom or treasure the kingdom was your sermon title. You said first find the treasure, then beware of the wrong treasure. And share the treasure. Those are your three points? Yeah. All right. Any big stuff we need to get out of the way before we jump into it?
3: I don't think so. I had a question about parables. I don't know if this is the right time for it. Like parables in general? It's always the right time. All right. So question about parables in general is like... What in the world is that all about? Because Jesus says he does it. He uses parables. He says this in Mark 4 and earlier in, Mark, in Matthew 13. So, like, I didn't talk about this part, but it's just a few verses before this, with the parable of the sower and stuff. He says, I'm using these parables in part to veil the truth from the Pharisees, from the people that are, that are not seeing the truth. That are, uh, and so that's kind of confusing to us. It's like, why would you use a teaching method? that purposefully doesn't work. <laughs> it's kind of how it says mm. when, you, when you hear what Jesus is saying. Um, so I just had an interaction with someone about that online that was asking me, emailing me about it, uh, one of our members. And, and I think my best explanation, I don't, I don't think anybody totally understands it. So this is just my best shot. Mm. But my best shot is Jesus is inviting you into a dialogue, a humble dialogue to ask questions and to seek truth. And so for the proud, it drives them further into their, you know, well, that's stupid and I'm not going to ask him any questions. He's not even a real teacher, you know. So it's kind of almost like a trigger for the humble to ask more questions, but it's a trigger for the proud to like walk away and not hear the truth. Um, So it's just veiled enough that it causes a little a little uh, conflict or confusion there. Um, So I think. He's not purposely trying to use bad teaching methods. I think actually parables are really good teaching. You know, like they're they're good object lessons. A lot of times they're really helpful. But that's my best explanation of uh, why he's trying to veil the truth to those people. So I don't know. Have you all ever heard anything on that on that topic too? Anything else you all would add to that?
1: Everything I heard has always been hard to explain, just like you yeah. said. Yeah. <laughs> kind of weird.
0: Yeah, I
3: don't know. Mm-hmm. Cool. Parables reveal and conceal is a, is another little catchphrase I've heard. You know, they show things. They show the truth. They do teach the truth. They are genuinely good object lessons, but they also conceal. They don't say everything. Um, so I think that's my best explanation. I see he's, he's drawing people in like, do you do you want to be a disciple and come learn from me? Or do you want to just huff, huff off in your pride and, and not listen? You know?
0: Make you use your brain.
3: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Anybody else? All right, so that's all we got on parables.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, thanks for tuning in. This has been Sunday Recap. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Sharing the treasure is our last point. Find the treasure. From Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, 45, and 46. Um, so Jesus starts off by saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a buried treasure that's hidden in a field right mm-hmm. and the guy finds it buries it up um and in in joy he goes and buys the field sells all that he has so he can buy the field mm-hmm. um and and you helped explain this some that it wasn't just like a weird dude who went and did something immoral or unethical what yeah can you help get that out because it does seem a little slimy to find a treasure in a
3: field and then go buy that field so you can have the treasure yeah the so i don't think i fully understand this but i read a couple of different scholars that commented on it that first of all there were no banks so people were always finding something either valuable or semi-valuable in someone else's field and wanting to buy it you know like so that that was very normal like maybe not buried treasure, you know, maybe not a chest full of gold coins, but in general, something that someone thought was valuable, they were always finding. And that always was driving someone to then to then want to buy land. You know, they might have been buying the land for a well or because it, they thought it grew crops well, but maybe it wouldn't next year. You know, so it was always kind of a gamble, I think, if that makes sense. Um, so I think that probably puts it in perspective. This is so absolute. It's like, World's most expensive treasure found here, you know, that it makes it kind of absolutizes it. But the practice was common. There were no banks. Stuff was always buried all over the place, you know, so. um, So it was just kind of like fair game. Finders keepers, you find something, go by the field. It's yours, you know. So that was just kind of the the normal way of doing things. Still seems weird. (laughs)
0: Weird, but was no more normal.
3: Yeah, weird, but normal. So.
0: I guess the question then is, how is the kingdom of heaven like that treasure that's hidden in a
3: field? Mm. I guess. right. So I think it's in his action. I think it's like the kingdom of heaven in the action that he takes. So the action that he takes, the two characters in the two parables, the twin parables are the same, right? He sees it as more valuable than everything else that he has, and he takes swift action to lay hold of it. You know, he's like... I've got to have this, I'm going to pursue it, forget everything else, this is the most important. So that's why I was kind of pressing that whole first commandment is the most important, have no other gods before me. That really shapes all the other commandments. So it's kind of this absolutizing or prioritizing, like this is the most important thing, you know, and it it kind of pushes everything else to the side. So I think that's, that's the main emphasis there.
0: So first commandment, have no other gods before me, or greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your
3: heart, soul, and mind. Same kind Mm -hmm. of idea? Yeah, yeah. It's like a passion. It's like a, I don't know, what's another word for that? Like, of first importance, I guess is the phrase that that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 15. This this is, you know, the message is the gospel. So first importance. It's like the prime thing, primacy. Supremacy. Supremacy. So that's how
0: it's like a kingdom is how you respond. I like the kingdom of heaven is how you respond to finding it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So my opening illustration for the introduction was you're never going to really be a good citizen of an earthly kingdom until you've found the ultimate kingdom. Like once you're, once your real citizenship is settled, like once you're a a real secure adopted child of God, registered citizen of heaven then you're going to be secure then you're free to be a pilgrim a sojourner in america or in central texas or in kazakhstan or wherever wherever god leads you you're you're prepared and secure and ready to be a sojourner just like jesus was a sojourner here just like you know hebrews 11 talks about all the uh, men of faith not having their permanent home yet um so yeah so it's that Absolutizing the primacy of the kingdom of heaven as our, our ultimate destination, home, and satisfaction, then that frees us to, to do well with what we have here. You know, I use the application because of 4th of July. That frees us to be thankful, like, oh, there are good things in this place that I'm sojourning in, and oh, there are bad things in this place that the Lord would want me to try to yeah. make better. You know, So I can, I can give thanks, and I can critique both. Because if you're not settled on the kingdom of heaven, you're just going to go all in with one or the other. You know, like it's going to be nothing but everything's rosy <laughs> or nothing but everything's evil and terrible. You know, you're not going to be able to have a balance for you because you're not settled and secure. You're wanting too much out of your earthly kingdom that it, that it can't provide. It's not, it's not big enough, but the kingdom of heaven is ultimate and can provide for us.
0: So, so what does it look like then to be secure in the kingdom of heaven? Like what does... Is... That practically look like? I know you go on to say, beware of others and to share what you found, but what does it look like to actually live like somebody who found a treasure and is Mm. giving all else to it? What do you guys think? Mm. Is that a fair question? Yeah.
3: I mean, like other biblical examples or just practically in everyday life? I don't know. I just feel Like,
0: like, you know, we could skip over that part and be like, yeah, if we have that, then all these other things work out, but it's like, well, how do we know if that's what we're doing or what we have? Mm-hmm.
3: What do y'all think?
1: Mm. I'm finding it hard to think today. <laughs> <laughs>
3: What do you think that I'm going to try to rephrase the question. Okay, what does the thanks. New Testament say about citizens of the kingdom? What do they act like? If we're citizens of God's kingdom, of the kingdom of heaven, what will what will we do? What will we act like with that:
4: I guess your your pride and your opinions about your current location and your current situation are not ultimate so um they're important but they're not ultimate that's what i think of you don't your whole identity doesn't hinge upon um you know any conversation you're having about about your current situation um again it's important but uh it's not ultimate so you don't have to i don't know (laughs) you don't have to go all in and um, destroy others and be destroyed yourself because you've got more important things ultimately. So there can be a calm and a, a centeredness, I guess, that that otherwise you wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably you spend time and and build your life uh, accordingly. You know, you you. It's not going to make sense to to people who do think their current situation is is ultimate um yeah you're going to pursue things and invest in things that um that don't necessarily make earthly sense um or don't make sense if if this is all there is mm-hmm. that's what comes to mind for me
2: that's
0: good Any other thoughts ideas I
2: think uh it that kind of puts me in mind of philippians 2 uh, at the very beginning where it's kind of telling us to just watch our our thinking be sober-minded um uh don't do anything for our own interest but for others and then i like the niv in verse 5 how it kind of tells us to like this is how you be like this in your relationships with others. Christ was like this, you know. uh, He's the very nature of God and he was, he didn't think it was robbery uh, to be equal with God. So it just kind of makes me think um, to just go after uh, loving others, uh, being sober-minded, having the same mind of Christ. I think that what that looks like practically is, um, um, since we're talking about the parables, is. Just loving a good practical way would be uh, loving your neighbor. Uh, I think that's a great way to practice not storing up treasures for yourself, but for others that you will see that uh, if you would, you would see the benefits of that spiritually.
0: Yes. So how do you guys think we check ourselves? So like, I mean, you talked a little bit about what you're seeking. What are you looking for? Uh, are you just numbing yourself? Um, how do we, you know, give ourselves a self-assessment or like preventative maintenance or services? Like, how do we pull that off with this?
3: Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, uh, just to jump off of what Kendrick and Chris just said, Kendrick said Philippians 2. I mean, you could just go through Philippians 2. Do I look like this? You know, am I... Uh, considering others am i serving others you know like is this happening in my life maybe ask other other people um you know friend a friend that you pray with accountability partner small group wife kids even uh i think chris was talking about this idea that your life may not look normal so like Compared to Babylon or compared to worldly standards, you might be investing in different things. I think that's another way just to ask yourself, do I look like everybody else? Am I just, you know, is my life just normal or is there something, is there is there a holy weirdness about my life? Um, that's good. I like the um, fruit of the spirit too, going through that. Uh, that's really challenging. <laughs> <laughs> that one causes lots of repentance in my life
4: <laughs> yeah i think there i mean that's another way to put it that you were talking about david there has to be a struggle is there no struggle <laughs> are you not are you wrestling with um because the the because the ideas and the principles of the bible to to just self-centered humans you know self-involved humans they're shocking and mm-hmm. difficult <laughs> i mean they really are they they take more than you have to give without the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so, yeah, are you wrestling, are you wrestling with that? I think, um, cause that, that also brings to mind a, a false, a false idea that I think can sneak in is that the more you grow as a, a Christian, the less you should be wrestling with, <laughs> with the word and, and, you know, like wondering, how do I apply this? How do I do this? Well, I, I think I see people do it more, <laughs> more as you grow in a good way, you know, more becomes more refined and more um, specific of the types of things that we're called to do and and called to be. Um, mm-hmm. and Yeah. So if, if it's smooth sailing and you got it all figured out, that's probably a red flag. <laughs> mm-hmm. You might have fallen into worldly thinking, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, I guess that that does lead to second point of be wearing the wrong, be wearing, be mm-hmm. yeah, be wearing the wrong treasure. Being, that's good being English. Where? <laughs> Being aware—that's actually accurate. Be wary now.
4: of. I feel like you have to say it
0: in a pirate voice. Beware, ar. Yes, beware the wrong treasure. Second point, and I guess yeah, that was where I was kind of leading was, how do we know for sure we we found the right treasure? How do we know that we're not, you know, we found a treasure and we think it's the one that's worth the greatest price, but it's not.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think again, going back to those. So yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get separated as a bad fish <laughs> if <laughs> but, you're not trusting Jesus, but you're trusting in these other kingdoms. You right. Know?
0: So like Matthew thirteen forty-seven through fifty is where this part's talking about. It's talking about they pulled up their nets, they sorted good and bad fish, and yeah, I was I was a little, um, I don't know. It was interesting to me that that the conclusion you came to was beware the wrong treasure. Because, yeah, it makes sense that they're pulling up their treasure of fish and sorting good and bad. But it, it the application from it, I think, is at the end of the time, some of you will be evil and some of you will be righteous and we're sorting you out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. I thought it was interesting the thinking about it as treasure, but then also it as us
3: yeah. and us being sorted out. Treasure was definitely a word that was forced onto that parable. I don't think treasure fits in that parable, but it is the parable before and the parable after. So the kingdom is treasure in the parable before, the kingdom is treasure in the parable after. And he's saying, I would say, in with all all the parables in context, if you don't lay hold of the true treasure of the kingdom, you will be cast out as a bad fish. So, so yeah, it's, it's a little... Uh, there's a, few, there's a few jumps in there that I think make sense when you read all the parables together. But yeah, it's in, in that parable, he's not using the, the concept of treasure, really. He's just saying, there's going to be a sorting. That, you know, There's going to be some that make it and some that don't make it. And everything else the New Testament tells us is that is based on whether we're clinging to self or we're clinging to Jesus. Um, and so there are these sneaky ways... So I'm saying, beware of the wrong treasure, the wrong kingdom, the wrong salvation system. Sneaky ways that we think, we think we're Christian when we're not. You know, and there's a million, mm. there's a million Christian-ish cults in America. You know, um, and we just have to be very careful about that.
0: So, so how do we distinguish a cult? Then I mean, I know you talked about several specific um, mm-hmm. false gospels during your sermon. How how, do, how can we, like, have a red flag go off and know, like, what can be our test mm. for knowing something's false or something's the wrong treasure? Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. I have a few ideas. Anybody else got something?
4: Go, Dave, go.
0: Or anybody <laughs> else, yeah?
3: Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, some patterns I see biblically just across the board. Uh, false teachers are trying to win followers of them rather than converts to god that's like a common pattern you see when false teachers are condemned in the new testament so is the leader i'm following trying to get me to follow them and glorify them or glorify god now that's tricky right because we've had there are places where the you know in the new testament it says follow me as i follow christ you know that that's that's there we we saw that in first corinthians um, so that's not like evil and wrong that's what discipleship is you follow me as I follow Christ but there's this heightened prideful you know follow me I'm I'm your answer kind of thing we see with false teachers um, there's also the pattern of, of flesh and law being aligned that Galatians shows us and so depending on the Holy Spirit is to walk by faith in God that's one column so to speak in Galatians if you were to just like Put all of Galatians on a chart. You'd have like spirit and faith and grace in one column. You are, depending on God's grace, you're trusting Him by faith. It's the Holy Spirit that's saving you. This other column is really interesting. It's flesh and law, works of the law, like what I can accomplish. And those two things are put together, which is really interesting because that's where we get some of that section in Galatians 5 where he talks about the works of the flesh versus the works of the spirit. It's like the works of the flesh. Which come out of trying to keep the law are actually these hateful, wicked things, right? Which is really confusing and it blows our categories because our categories are like, oh, the good people obey the law and the bad people don't obey the law. Paul actually puts both of those people in the same category. (laughs) He says they're both trusting in their own flesh. So you got like the religious person saying they're really good and righteous and secretly struggling with sin, and then you've got the rebellious person just doing whatever their flesh tells them to do and it's you know obvious quote unquote that they're sinners but both are ultimately trusting in the flesh um and so i think all that to say all that pattern comes back to are we magnifying jesus god his work or are we magnifying like us our system our secret for conquering the world our method for fixing the world um and again not to get overly political that's part of the problem in our divisive age is it's like either America is savior or America is demon. You know, that's what I was trying to say. Like, well, it's neither one. It's not powerful enough to be either one. It's, it's full of evil and sin. And there are some good things, you know, like it's both and, and Jesus is savior. Right. And mankind are the ones that bring sin and brokenness into the world. And so you got to just ask yourself, is the system I'm counting on, is it counting on anything other than Jesus to save me? Or, you know, some system, some political theory, some campaign, my own strength, someone else's strength, or is it just counting on Jesus? Is it just Jesus? And um, so I think those are just ways to analyze, just to ask yourself, oh, did, did I just call it Christian, but I'm actually trusting in myself, Um, And that's a really good self-evaluation. So anyway, I'm preaching too much. Anybody else add to that?
2: Yeah, while while you were saying that first point about leaders gaining followers for themselves, it kind of makes me think from like a, if you will, follower perspective of Mm -hmm. how easy it is to hang your hat on maybe the truths that your leader is teaching Mm. Um, and so if you think you have a good leader, right, that's mm. leading you to Christ, that's not making it about himself, but mm. you as a follower hang your hat on, this is our theology, this makes mm. us right, this makes us correct, I think that's also a danger um, mm. because it's easy to believe in your theological beliefs as what saves you. Oh, I'm, I'm good because we believe correctly, I don't read the Bible uh, mm-hmm. with error i interpret scripture correctly and rightly divide the word of truth so i think that's also sort mm. of a danger of that treasure
4: mhm mhm
3: for sure that's kind of like salvation by brand or salvation by our tribe of orthodoxy or whatever mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: yeah i think also um I think I was thinking about this as we were singing the treasure song, the kid song. I think, uh, sometimes we can turn this treasure into a metaphor too quickly. <laughs> Just like, you know, we've heard it so before, yeah. Tr- follow your money. I mean, really, <laughs> really like that's, you know, the, the old, old thing that probably some people have heard too much and some people probably haven't heard yet, but yeah, your time, your talent and your treasure, where, where, where do the follow those lines? Um, and see yeah see where they lead so i think um yeah yeah (laughs) treasure isn't just a metaphor i guess um is what i was thinking about what do you spend money on too i mean it is it is a what do you value but it is like
2: you've got some coins (laughs) what are you doing with your coins (laughs) (laughs) oh man where where i come from this is uh, a very very heavily misinterpreted scripture uh, mm-hmm. When speaking about like giving and tithes mm-hmm. and offering. Mm-hmm. yeah.
4: But is it? it yeah, <laughs> and, and usually it's a twisted truth, right? It's not. Yeah. It's not a hundred percent lie. Yeah. It's it's taking it too far, or, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that that's kind of why I want to go back to the the yeah the maybe overheard misused version yeah. of of mm-hmm. that and say okay what's the proper way to look at that? Uh,
1: good
4: mm. question. Yeah. Yeah, we want to be careful so that so
3: and we've actually kind of talked about this at our church. Our church is among, in the city, a lot of churches that abuse that right. A lot of churches that overemphasize giving and make giving everything. Salvation by giving, maybe. Uh, But we want to not. Is among them. Our church is among a bunch of churches like that. Our church is not. I would say our church is not that way. But we're in the. context surrounded by our our church is surrounded by yeah our church is surrounded by a lot of churches that teach that and we have the temptation to swing too far the other way and say oh no forget giving you know (laughs) who cares about that whatever doesn't matter you know but or we just just don't talk about it yeah yeah i just don't talk about it but it's like no that's that is a mark that is a fruit of you know where do you invest where do you invest your time where do you invest your talent your treasure what do you spend money on what do you spend your relationships on those are all. I, I like to say, like uh, dashboard, you know, lights, indicators. You know, are you overheating, or are you investing in the kingdom? Are you, you know, is your gas tank empty, or are you investing in the gospel and the word and spending your money on what matters? And um, they're all indicators, I think. Are yeah.
0: we are we supposed to do something if our car has those indicators
3: on them? <laughs> Uh, there's, you can get a little piece of black tape and put it over that light.
2: Yeah. <laughs> okay. And yeah. You
3: won't see it anymore.
2: <laughs> For a while. Turn, turn the music up loud. And yeah. 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 You won't
0: hear the ding. <laughs> I have old cars, man. They got lights on yeah. them. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's an old guy, old dead guy named Larry Burkett, who said, "Every financial decision is a spiritual decision. Mm-hmm. So every every time you look at spending money someplace." Mm-hmm. If we're not considering, you know, why am I doing this? I mean, it's really easy to cruise. Look, I'm the guy who cruises marketplace more than any of you, and, <laughs> and, and I'm looking for those deals. But often, you know, I catch myself going, "What am I thinking? I'm going to get from this?" Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's something I want from the next purchase. Is there satisfaction that I got it cheap or what? Doesn't matter. Just, but, but that's what we find ourselves doing in this culture that we live in.
4: Yeah. 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 It's so hard to maintain a perspective of a holistic perspective. I think that is like living for the kingdom um kind of language is God owns everything I have and every moment I have. It's and that's really not a not an easy thing to think through. But um yeah, God doesn't just own ten percent of my money. (laughs) He owns (laughs) all of it. He doesn't only own sunday morning he owns every moment and uh yeah yeah so but what's good is he owns it and he's there with me helping me to to not you know fall over with weariness and and not um, lose heart you know so so it's not just hey shape up on your own orphan (laughs) i own you it is it is i'm I've given you everything. Mm-hmm. It's all a gift and I'm going to help you know what to do with it. Um so that that's some stuff I've been pondering last yeah. last few weeks.
3: Yeah. That's really good cuz yeah, there's that even even my dashboard indicator light uh it's more like Jesus is in the seat next to you and he's built the car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, "Hey, this light's going off. Uh what does that mean, Jesus?" <laughs> you know, like yeah, he's always there with us, which is, yeah, which is a beautiful thing because I think it's easy to fall back into, I got to figure this out and I can't, I can't talk to God until I figure this out. I got to fix this and then I can talk to God, you know. Um, yeah.
2: I think I can share a a story or a parable now to people in my community about um, a car and a dashboard. So mm-hmm. I'm going to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> It will reveal and conceal.
0: <laughs> you got to actually be able to be the guy who can sit in the car and just hear it and know what's wrong with it. That's Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: Oh, dude, this was the coolest thing ever. I went to a mechanic once and he, he pulled out stethoscopes and listened yep. to oh. the transmission. Have you ever seen that? It was crazy. I was like, what is oh, he doing? I own, one of, oh, own one. Yeah. Oh, one of those. You own one. Jim has one of those. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> wow, he's a car doctor.
0: I have one more question about false gospels. If anybody else has anything else, we can do it too before we move to share the treasure. But I've seen this thing going around on social media shared by people saying something along the lines of, Christian, beware of the false gospel of social justice. And it's being shared a lot. I'm wondering... If you have any take on what that might mean, because it's just a meme that just has like those words. That's it. What it might mean, what they might be trying to say, and if we
3: should beware of it.
4: Mm-hmm. Yes.
3: Well, I would say anything can be a false gospel. So any Christian value that God wants us to value, and I would say social justice is something we are to value, that is a fruit of the gospel, can be turned into a meriting of the gospel, right? So set social justice aside, say, kindness and compassion. We are to be kind and compassionate. That is a fruit of the gospel. If someone's never kind and never compassionate, you have every right to question if they even know Jesus. But that doesn't win Jesus's affection for us. Um, So same thing with social justice. Social justice uh, just simply means justice in a social framework, right? Like (laughs) caring for what is right, um, conservatives tend to emphasize the no partiality, you know, like absolute right and wrong justice. We talked about this before, uh, so that's zaddik. The other Hebrew word for justice is mishpat, which means the rights of the poor and the oppressed. So, a justice system is both, on the one hand, supposed to give like the same punishment for the same crime. You know, that's the more the Zadik characteristic of of uh, right and wrong, abstract justice. But then there's the like and watch out for the weak because they will get trampled on, you know, watch out for the foreigner, watch out for the widow, watch out for the orphan, watch out for uh, people who haven't had their rights uh, cared about because they will get trampled on or overlooked or pushed to the outside. And that's Mishpot. And so um, in America right now, there are a lot of people that are like, They'd basically say no, Zadik is the only the only kind of justice that exists, and completely miss all the mishpat verses in the Old Testament. Um, so, so yeah, I think if you say mishpat is the only kind of justice, caring for the the poor or the foreigner is the only kind of justice that exists, you're you're going to the extreme on the other side. You're getting things confused. That's happening some in our context. And if you say that's how you win God's affection, you're getting things mixed up. But to care about it as a fruit of the gospel—that that's that's commanded. That's a part of of who we're called to be. There was a statement on social justice written a year or two ago. Any of y'all remember? By some mm-hmm. evangelicals, and they they were of the "watch out, it's scary" brand. But I think they I think they were mm, confused. I think. A little bit and is it MacArthur
0: statement, that one?
3: Yeah, MacArthur and Bodie Bacham put it out together. And basically they were just taking the the kind of academic, you know, maybe Marxist ish definition and saying, That's the definition. There's no other way to use the word but by this academic definition. And I'm like, Well, that's not that's not really how language works. If you look up any word in the dictionary, it has three or four meanings and it's used <laughs> differently in different tribes, you know, so um, so I think they were a little wrong headed there, but to their point Christians don't necessarily agree with everything that that you know academic pagans believe we we have differences and that's that's fair so it's worth investigating i would say christian investigate it
2: yeah i, I think i would, you said everything i was going to say um <laughs> <Sorry>. but, <laughs> i talked too much <laughs> <but> to add, <laughs> to add to your point um, mm-hmm. it kind of makes me think of uh, it, there's this this thing where we have to be balanced on on both sides. And I saw that meme, Joey, and I was like, okay, I should stop and consider uh, what I'm chasing in social injustice. How is this? Am I undermining the gospel through this? And I think what you said, Sunday was something that can easily happen, which is moralistic, therapeutic deism. Mm. Um, and I think chasing social injustice, it's easy to Run off on morality um, mm. instead of, like, sin, the world is broken, we all need Jesus, we all need a Savior, this is why these things are happening. Um, since these things are happening, um, we can preach the gospel and then have a balance of living the gospel, like you were saying, caring for those who are overlooked and for those who are hurt, but that's just to go to your point. And then, I don't know if you got to this point in the sermon, uh, atheistic. Marxist utopianism. I don't think I even used that phrase. Oh. I was like, I don't have time for this. That's a good phrase, though. You like that? Yeah. I
3: <clears throat> Yeah. I that's think another. What do, you, what do you, you want to define that for us? Yeah, Atheistic Marxist utopianism.
2: No, nah, I gonna let you just have. To <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I just think that's that's another one of those isms out there floating around, you know, so that would be the hyper hyper-academic version of social justice that MacArthur and Votie Bacham are afraid of. So that's kind of the social justice um, monster that they're really afraid of. That exists. That's out there. And it's that, saying there um, is no God. And,
0: mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, and that means yeah. there's no God. Yeah.
3: yeah. Everyone. There's no God. Marx has got the answer, and we can build a utopia if we just follow Marx and forget about God. And I'm like, okay, well, no, we don't, we don't believe that either. You know, that's another variety we don't believe but in all of these they have true things you know like um pharisaism well there are a lot of true things the pharisees believed but jesus had to fight with them cuz you can't save yourself by keeping god's law and he had to fight with them about that mm-hmm. uh, moralistic therapeutic deism there's a lot of good things in there but it's it's incomplete same thing with atheistic marxism yeah there's there's some they recognize some abuses that the powerful exact over the weak and that's the buckle and true but that you know because they get a few things right we don't buy their whole system and that i think that that's where we always have to be careful and the opposite of that is true as well if you say something true that a false system says it's not fair to say oh that person must believe the entire false system you know so like if we say i'm i'm worried about social justice that doesn't mean i'm a marxist or an atheist right <laughs> I can I be concerned know. about that. You know? <laughs> might be a Marxist. Um. Yeah, in our current climate, it's like, oh, if you're concerned about something my tribe is not concerned about, that means you believe everything that anyone in that tribe has ever believed, yeah, you know? For you're sure. like, well, no, I can I can separate issues, you know, out. And that's part of the weirdness of our current climate. Yeah.
2: So th- it's this or that mm-hmm. climate, mm-hmm. I think, that we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to be candid with the times, like... Uh, and just and the phrase I try to refrain from using because the organization is Marxist, it's like Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not agree with their statement, their mission statement. And it's mm-hmm. very Marxist at the core. I mean, it's I would just encourage anyone who hasn't read it to read it.
3: Um, yeah.
2: But I think the saying is true. And so I try to I don't know. It's it's like that weird thing where you're saying uh, if I believe this saying to be true, I don't have to align myself with that organization at all.
3: Oh. yeah that's a good example yeah black lives do matter that doesn't mean i'm a marxist right <laughs> right. Right. right right things can be true yeah so I th- oh go ahead
4: no yeah i don't want to break your segue I, I i guess i've just been observing and trying to get down to sort of a cultural theological core of of some of the things that i see happening and uh, i i think what i I was, talking to, I was talking to somebody about the Declaration of Independence and, you know, we hold these truth to be self-evidence and, and this key phrase that people are, are, are endowed by their creator with unalienable rights. And so I was thinking, okay, so what, but culturally we've ripped that creator part out. Yeah, scrap so that this, creator stuff. So there's this blank sitting there. Yeah. And so that, again, talking about the false treasure, so what what are we putting in that blank? really helps to see our new, you know, our new understanding of where do these things come from. And I think, um, to, to, you know, I'm not going to have a perfect perspective on every single side and what they're putting in that blank. I think there's, there's a lot of different answers to what's in that blank, but I do think some of the common ones I see are my correct thinking or my self independence and my pulling myself up by my bootstraps. That's what gives me rights or, or my oppression. That's what gives me rights. Um, or, you know, whatever. And what's crazy is for one thing, all of those things can change and all those things are imperfect. Um, but what I, but what I do see is, okay, so if you take God out of the equation, you've got to find his character somewhere else. So for instance, I see a pursuit of holiness in our culture, but it's holiness minus creator. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah. You have to act holy, and you have to have acted holy your whole for all time, right? And, and, and this country needs to be holy, and it has to have been holy for all time, or guess what? You're right. It's not a good God, right? So, America's mm-hmm. not a good God because mm-hmm. it's always been messed up. Doesn't yeah. mean it's always been 100% messed up, but but again if you rip out god and try to put america in there okay we see where it falls apart really fast because you're searching for holiness and i think when you talk about the social justice thing it's it's i think um certain certain tribes need to be hear the fact that the pursuit of holiness is not wrong right mm-hmm. the pursuit of of a of perfect justice is not wrong the per- the pursuit of perfect equality is not wrong mm-hmm. But it is wrong if you're expecting it from a human (laughs) or a human system. It's not even so. So as the foundation, I guess what I say. So if you take out you take out creator and you put in human anything, it's going to fall apart. Right. That's the wrong treasures is what I'm trying to say. And so the pursuit of holiness is not wrong. It's just the foundation of that holiness has to begin with God and and the reason also i mean that's the reason even i mean you you see the standards are changing of what is right and wrong uh, what is what is moral and what's immoral and then people are just you know crucifying them their own people and you know mm-hmm. they they can't even stay right on their own in their own camp <laughs> right because they were never the holy ones they we yeah. we're incapable of that without jesus and again, to go all the way, and I'll shut up, but <laughs> to go all the way, that doesn't say, "Okay, Christian, you're off the hook of being holy." God says, "No, be holy as I am holy." I think that's the statement, mm-hmm. so be holy because I am holy, so we have a perfect holiness to look at, and we are supposed to mimic that more and more and more, but there's a beautiful there's a beauty to that because we're gonna stumble at it, and we don't have to lose hope you know so so what what happens is Imperfect Christian, hopefully, imperfect Christian is trying to love perfectly and fails, yeah. and then a world wants to come and say, "You are not perfect." That means everything about you is worthless, and I'm done with you. And what a Christian can say is, "No, I was never the foundation of the holiness. God is, and as any goodness you see from me is because I'm trying to get closer to what He told me to do and what He." he asks of me um and same with judge we have a perfect judge and all judges are supposed to get closer to that as they can um but it's not a human standard it's a it's a heavenly standard so anyway <laughs> reach yeah. but that's, the pursuit of holiness is good and beautiful yeah. but yeah. The, the object of the holiness needs to be carefully considered go ahead kendrick mm-hmm.
2: i was going to say that's subjective moral reasoning that's like a whole worldview yeah, uh, that that's some people I'll hold to mm-hmm. good point Chris yeah. yeah
0: so so as we move into talking about sharing the treasure I guess this might be a little I mean you're already we're already talking about it but I don't know this might be a little touchy so stop me if I need to stop I guess but <laughs> um, so I guess to jump back a little bit talking about um social justice becoming a false gospel Mm -hmm. can avoiding that and like this sounds horrible only focusing on god become a false gospel too because yes i i see so many responses to everything that's going on that are like yeah i don't need to worry about this god's got my back or (laughs) james or james or um you know i don't I don't have to recognize the struggle of of this person because Mm -hmm. god cares about everyone or Mm -hmm. you know fill in the blank with anything we're going through right now in this country in this world i'm seeing responses from people you know claiming i don't i don't have to worry about this because i trust in god or i don't have to have any say in this so i'm just wondering you know we talked about you can do too much social justice and not look to god can you do too much looking to God and not looking at justice?
1: And, I, think and that's, can, I, I think it can be a big omission. I think right now in the evangelical community, there is a tendency to not take care of the oppressed and the poor, but to trust the government's doing that because we give them our taxes. And so we feel like, well, that's a, that's taken care of. And, and I feel like that's a huge omission for us.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the book of James hammers that hard. You say you have faith. Show me your works. You know, like, if there are no works, it's dead, you know. Uh, so Yeah, I think that's a large part of what James was getting into. So,
0: yeah, I guess my, my thought behind it then is how does that affect sharing the treasure, right? So we We've yeah. say we found this treasure of greatest uh it's the greatest prize it's the greatest price mm-hmm. you know we we looked and we made sure that this treasure mm-hmm. wasn't a fake treasure that it was the real treasure, and now we're being told, go share the treasure like how does the way we act and behave affect sharing the treasure or the way we speak or the way we fill in the
3: blank? I don't know um man, I think a good cross reference is John seventeen I, I used the phrase the manner and the message of Jesus so like we've got to clarify our message so we'll say the the people that are worried about social justice probably focus more on that let 's clarify our message let 's talk more about the message let 's not worry so much about the methods um, and or manner and then people on the other side are like let's get our manner right let 's get our manner right but so yeah both can be extremes if you say you know there was this um what was it called? Social gospel, turn of the century, maybe early 1900s. I forget historically when it was. I want to say early 1900s. Uh, there was a big movement where Christians veered towards an an atheistic care for the poor and like, let's let's do care, let's not talk care. And they stopped sharing the gospel. So, I mean, that's a real problem. That happens. <laughs> and then there's this other extreme that James condemns that I do think some of our evangelical brothers and sisters are are in danger of will say I don't I don't see their lives so I don't you know it's hard to even say sure out of context you know like you kind of have to see what they're like in their neighborhood it's hard to know that right. from a distance true but yeah people are in danger of saying just talk about the gospel just say say the message but don't ever actually like help anybody and I think both of those are extremes that we can fall into and James James hammers that pretty hard but John 17 is one I like it's a parallel where he, or a parallel, where he talks about um, when Christians are united, they will see the love that the Father has for the Son and the Son has for His people. So that's a really interesting section. It's it's in where Jesus is like kind of praying in front of the disciples before he goes to the cross. So that's another one of those interesting places where it it's basically so the logic is the gospel will be more received and heard when there is tangible unity among brothers and sisters in Christ. So I think that's, that's related to all this, you know, I I think it's, it's fair to say then with James and what, with what Jesus says in John 17, but then you add on James and stuff about don't, don't just say you have faith, but actually do something. I think from both of those sources, you can say, yeah, when we, when we do good in the neighborhood, the gospel will be heard. And then we have to put one more check on that. I think of, There is a sense in which sometimes people will just want your good deeds, say they're trusting Jesus, but they're not really trusting Jesus. You know, of course, yeah, that'll happen. But
1: Mm -hmm.
3: I think sometimes we're so afraid of that that we like pull back in a weird way. Like if I help someone and they are mixed up about that, like, okay, (laughs) like, is that, it's still okay to help someone, you know? Um, So I think, I think we worry sometimes too much. It's kind of perfectionism. Mm. Anyway. So that's what I think.
2: I think that it does affect our ability to share the treasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I believe that the gospel is sufficient, mm-hmm. um, but I think uh, as far as it allowing us to reach people who haven't heard the gospel is kind of where uh, it could get tricky. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite scripture is Hebrews four fourteen through sixteen, but. Just to quote a short part in there, it says that we don't have a Savior who can't empathize with our weakness. Um, And so I think a lot of times people that are oppressed, uh, people that are hurting, they sort of want to kind of know that God cares enough about them. And and I also think that's a part of the gospel. I care enough that you are perishing. I care enough that you are in this Mm -hmm. sin-sick-filled world that I'm going to come and dive in and head with you. Head first and and do something about it and and mm-hmm. bring you a savior and a, and a comforter and so I think it just focusing on that alone um, it just diminishes the ability to reach those at moments in certain communities that want to know that God simply cares uh, about their well-being and mm-hmm. and I think those who who kind of feel that way. Um, they may not want to hear the gospel from me, from certain individuals who um, only seek to point to God and 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 to God only. And again, I believe the gospel is sufficient. But I think the tricky part will come in is if we don't show love to them, if we don't um, uh, let them know that God is a God of compassion and mercy, then they may not even want to hear what we have to say about God's gospel uh, in the first place.
3: That's good man. Yeah, I think uh something you're saying about people wanting to know that you care. I was thinking of uh Brian Stevens talks about proximity a lot. Um and how God's people need to have proximity to hurting people. So just being their friends, seeing, knowing, understanding, you know, that's a it's a pattern. We we talk about Philippians too a lot, right? Like Jesus left the perfection of heaven. He didn't consider his equality with God, robbery or grasping, he, he, you know, humbled himself. So there's just that, that closeness thing there. Like we're willing to get close to people rather than just avoid the mess. You know, when we help people, a gym has spearheaded a lot of our benevolent stuff Man, it's complicated. It's So messy, you know, you get involved with people's lives and you're trying to help them and, and you're like, do they really even want help? I don't know. Or, you know, sometimes you're just confused because there's such a cultural gap. Like this is a person who's never been shown how to live on a budget so how am i going to help him figure out how to live on a budget in like three meetings like this is probably gonna take a few years you know like it's just it's all very complicated um mm. yeah but i think proximity is a good place to start yeah just getting close to it goes back to just like listening understanding people's issues and,
0: and i mean we talk about a lot i think is sharing the gospel is best done in relationship right that Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. with people that you've connected with over you know time and time again and people who Mm -hmm. who are in your life and see your life that's Mm -hmm. the ideal the best way to share the gospel um Mm -hmm. so i think that's related to that too is if you're not if you don't have people like that in your life then where are you gonna share it you're just gonna go stand on a corner and yell and hope somebody hears that might work. um, (laughs) That could work. I mean, and and it has, to Uh, be honest, like historically, that is a way that the gospel has been shared, but Uh, it's probably not going to be as effective, I guess.
4: Um, I think one important thing that we're being forced to wrestle with right now to uh, for good or for bad, (laughs) hopefully for good is uh, I think a lot of our, our sharing of the treasure, our sharing of the gospel had devolved into one of my favorite words, uh, churchianity. <laughs> and so, yeah. so it, it had become 100% as what I've, I've seen and felt uh, 100%, 100% come to church. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, inviting my friends to church. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, I share the gospel, it was come to church. And, and to be fair, that that's, there's great things about that you know that that really was a blessing that we could do that and and that we have these highly skilled communicators that that can continuously and and you know share share the beauty, beauty of the gospel each week and and we can and it was again on the on the plus side that was come be with my family I, I mean there's there was goodness to that but I do think also I saw it devolve into that was the extent of the regular, Christians uh methodology was come to church you know and so what's happened is guess what we can't all come to church right now broke uh yeah and so <laughs> and so again that's not to say that method was completely wrong and now we got to do something totally different but yeah now we do have to kind of do something totally different and so then maybe when we get to come back we're going to be double strong and so I hope, I hope that's true. Um, but I, I don't know the answer to that question. Maybe we can, I can throw that up and see if you guys have pondered um, that. I mean, I think that is back to the relational thing. That is back to the explicitly saying truth. Um, mm-hmm. Like you are the church deployed right um, outside of the walls right now. And it's even more obvious than ever. And we don't have just the, the easy way that we used to have <laughs> that may or may not have even been working well. I don't know. But uh, does that make sense any any extra thoughts on that how do how do we so the opposite of just church is is owning it right yeah we uh i think we
3: went through i assume when you say we you mean our church or do you mean like evangelicalism i don't know what you mean
4: yeah there just a there's just a a lot lar- um I don't know about majority. There was just a large group in the church. People grow up in the church. You know, it's like the church. whole totality of all, everything Christian was yeah. was church building, basically. Mm, um, that's yeah. the danger. Um, yeah. And so there, again, there was goods and bads to that. But I just saw a large, a large group of people, myself included, fe- you know, can fall into that. Yeah, for
3: sure. Yeah, I think it's always a both and, and people. Will, in our culture, will devolve towards consumerism. So, it's like, it's always share your faith with your friends and relationship and invite people to church. It's always that. It's always been that. You know, you see Andrew inviting people to come meet Jesus. Andrew doesn't say, I'm going to spend six weeks explaining the kingdom to you before I ever invite you to meet Jesus. He's like, you got to come see this Jesus guy. You know, like, it's okay to invite people to the text or to the event or to the group or but um, what's really weird, I think, is that the, just the drift towards consumerism keeps pulling us back. You know, consumerism, mm-hmm. how can I just be passive? How can I just like watch it or re- receive it without really doing anything with it? And I think that's, that's what's really painful right now is um, consumers don't know how to, mm-hmm. how to function in an entrepreneurial world you know COVID is an entrepreneurial world it's like alright everything's broken go figure it out <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's like they, they're not they're used to having their hand held more than that even, even myself you know I'm, I shouldn't say they like even as pastor like oh wow this is more this is requiring way more creativity than has previously been required and I'm, I'm probably in the at least you know half of the Christian world that likes creativity and coming up with new ideas so uh yeah it's hard it's not this is not the time for consumerism
2: i think it's it's okay to uh for people to understand they don't have to be like a church leader to share the gospel um -hmm. to do life with people and i think uh going back to what chris was saying is i think what i see what's happening in that large portion you were talking about chris is um Event, well, yeah, evangelism doesn't seem to be this long-term commitment in those communities. It's more so like, a, you need Jesus, you need him now, uh, get saved, come to him, like mm-hmm. at this very moment, or else, you know. It's mm-hmm. but when I think of discipleship and evangelism, in my mind, uh, I'm like, okay, I'm in this for the long term. The long term. This is my sphere of influence. These individuals here. And over time, I'm going to consistently and continually share Jesus with them. Uh, even after they receive Christ, I'm going to continually and consistently do life with these same group of people and these same individuals. And then something that I've heard Dave say time and time again is um, share the gospel, even if you share it badly, you know, mm-hmm. just just share it, which is why I think these stories of the King series is so cool because it's. I think uh, most of us are more comfortable with telling stories than we may be with uh, giving the Roman's Road at, mm-hmm. at some point, but um, I think that's that's what I've seen. Evangelism is a long-term deal, and we have to kind of commit to uh, um, seeing it out in the long run instead of, you need Jesus, you need Him now, so you got to come to church on Sunday, and if you don't come to church on Sunday, you're like, you don't deserve Him, or you missed Him, or something, <laughs> you know.
0: Sorry, God has left the building. <laughs>
2: Yeah.
4: And yeah. it's, and again, it's not a throw out the baby with the bathwater. It's not a all yeah. or nothing. It's like, it's like right. Dave says, both end. But again, when, when yeah. part of the normal equation is taken out, yeah. then it's like there's, there, you have to focus on the muscles you can focus on mm-hmm. um, because, because we do like, it's. I guess I just want to be careful that we don't start talking about as if like community is bad accidentally right <laughs> just because community has been ripped away we don't start saying yeah that was never a good plan no that that's still the, that's still the plan in a good way in healthy ways it's just there's things that we've been able to ignore and some of the muscles that have atrophied that we need to like we're we're being forced to have to say hmm i I maybe need to grow there and yeah again that's me along with everybody else for sure. And I don't have the answers of how, how that looks. I don't want zoom to be the answer. Um, <laughs> so, but, but we've got to keep talking about it. Again. I used to always
3: tell our global outreach partners that are in, uh, we'll say difficult places, you know, scary places or risky places, sharing, sharing the good news. Um, we would talk about methods and how we do things. And I'd be like, yeah, we're, we're still like riding the wave of Christendom and I know it's going to crash, but you know, as long as we can do big central gatherings, we'll do big central gatherings. You know, it's a great tool on our tool belt. That's, it's great. It's been, been used on and off throughout the history of Christianity, you know, cause some people like to argue, no, only the underground hidden church. That's the only way to be. Cause you know, those are the real like macho Christians. <laughs> like, well, we don't really want suffering and persecution. You know, <laughs> it's not something we pursue. Um, but I've always said we're just going to keep riding this wave until it crashes, and, and it's, it's interesting to see the crash in our lifetime. Like, okay, Christendom is crashing. What's interesting is, is Christendom's death is also coinciding with the death of secularism, which is really fascinating. So, like, we don't know what's next. You know, like, yeah. we're seeing the end of two worldviews, really, simultaneously. And so that's a strange, strange to be living through this time in history. Hmm.
0: Any other thoughts? Ideas? It's a strange time and we're out of it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a really bad dad joke. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. This has been Sunday Recap.